You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. So, Red Door, this is the word of the Lord. Not bad. Let's do it again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, thanks be to God for his word. I had great cause this last week to thank God for his word because I've just had a kind of a rough week, to be honest with you. Um, we're in the process of moving into a house that we've bought uh, just a little way um, away from the church house that we've been living in. And that's just, I don't know, I, no one's ever had a good experience of that, right? And, um, and, and at the same time, we've been moving my dad out of his house, which is um, which was a lot more work and uh, a lot uh, um, just a lot, a lot more sadness involved in that. Um, it's a long story that goes back many years, but he uh, eventually was kind of forced to uh, sell the house that him and his wife bought when they were first married. And so uh, lots of history in that place. And um, for me, my first 24 years up until I got married, living in that house. And uh, I mentioned last week, you know, my mother... Uh, passing away in that house, and so there's there's lots of uh, reason for us to kind of be grieving this week. And it was Monday last week where they uh, he eventually moved out, and um, it was it was just rough. It was it w- it was bizarre actually, um, standing in an empty house that has always been there, and thinking I'm never coming back here. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be bulldozed, and so it's like with th- this is the last. And I know memories outlive experience and all of that, but it was just hard and 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 to be honest with you I'm just prone in those times not to run to God which would be a great idea but to sort of withdraw um, and to and and to forget to pray or actually actively not want to pray or interact with God in those times to to be honest and uh, I know that doesn't happen to you guys but it does it does happen to me. And so actually, I've said to you before, I think God made me a pastor to keep me a Christian. I really, I really think that. Um, because every week, I have to read the Bible in depth. I have to pray for God's anointing spirit. Otherwise, this just doesn't happen. I just, like, this won't happen. Um, I'll just get up here and, and, and give you nothing. And so to be able to jump into God's word and actually find once again, yes, God is here. God is speaking. Every time I open this book, irrespective of of my week or my experience, he is here. He is speaking. And so I hope that that's your experience this morning as we open Mark 6. Why don't we do that now? Um, Just need to summarize the first little bit um, without going into much detail. In verse 1 to 6, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that this is the the account of Jesus being rejected in his own town. Uh, This is where he says, you know, a prophet is never welcome in his own town. Uh, and, and, And his own people, the people who have grown up around him are the ones who completely reject him. It says Jesus was astounded by their lack of faith. It says something really controversial. If you said it, I'd be like, you, you need to go back to, back to the Bible. But it actually says Jesus was unable to do any miraculous work there because of their unbelief. And, and so the idea is this, that, that it just goes against Jesus' nature to force his blessing on people who don't want to receive it, which is a, which is a lesson for us. Um, Whenever we feel like we should be blessed, even though we have no receptivity to 
Jesus' ministering of his blessing. And so he's rejected by his own people. And then on in verse 7 to 13, he sends out his disciples, right? He's, he's gathered these men. He's been walking, living, um, eating, drinking, teaching these men. And then he says to them, now it's your turn. You need to go out and do the things that I've been doing. And so, so it says they go out and they, they teach and preach repentance, right? Is what Jesus has done from the beginning. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. They uh, minister healing. They cast out demons. They do all of the things that Jesus has been doing. And there should be no real surprise there because Jesus isn't so, kind of this completely removed alien who comes in and does all of this magic and we're just standing in awe. No, he's, he is God and man, as we said over and over and over again. So to be a disciple of Jesus means to do the things that he does. That's exactly what we see. So I guess the question for us this morning is, uh, am I a disciple? Am I a disciple? Do I follow Jesus? That means more than just trusting in him to provide a kind of fire insurance policy against hell, right? It means more than that. It means walking in his footsteps, which means doing what he does. So actually, our, our big thing about making all of life all about Jesus is true, but, but it's also making all of life like Jesus. That's what it is to be a Christian, to make all of life like Jesus, to, to be living like Jesus Lived, And that's exactly what they do. They go out and walk in his footsteps. You ask yourself this morning, am I a disciple? Well, yes, I go to church. Yes, I, I, I claim the name of Christ. But am I a disciple? Am I actively walking in Jesus' footsteps? Wherever his footsteps lead, I'm walking in those footsteps because I'm a disciple. If the answer is yes then first of all, you need to know your life is going to be much more interesting than it would otherwise be. Studies say that 83% of people are working a job that they have no interest in, right? Big driver of, of despair in our culture. Well, that might be true, but if you're a disciple of Jesus, that job's going to get a little more interesting. If you're doing the things that he was doing, that, that, that life that you're leading is going to be a little more Interesting. In fact, it's going to be a lot more interesting if you're open to God by His Spirit empowering you to do what Jesus did. It's going to be a lot more interesting. It's also going to be a lot more busy, right? If you want a, a nice, peaceful, relaxed, lazy life, don't be a disciple of Jesus because it's going to get busy. Let's look at verse 31 to 33. Jesus said to them, now that they have returned from their little mission trip, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place but many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Your life's going to be busy if you're a disciple of Jesus. I love that Jesus recognized that these guys had been working hard and that they needed a rest. Jesus is pro-rest, not just Sabbath, but 
regular rest to replenish, to pray. We're going to see a little bit later on. And so he says to them, let's get out of Dodge. Let's get out into the countryside. Get out into the wilderness. We'll take a boat just, to, just so that we can get away from this place. Unfortunately, these guys are so famous now in the region that people see them and, and run ahead of them and get there so that when they, when they arrive on the boat, they're there. Just imagine the feeling of like, approaching the shore and just seeing all these people. This was meant to be my day off. This was meant to be my rest and refreshment. Yesterday I was with my kids. We were in the town, the CS Square, and uh, we, we just rode bikes up here and had some stuff to get. And Saturday's my day off, and twice I saw people who used to come to this church in the center, and twice I just suddenly had something else to do, like at the other, at the other end of the, <laughs> the shopping center. It's true, because that's my day off, right? I just, I just, I uh, don't have it in me to give out. In this respect, I'm not living like Jesus because he intended to have a day off. He intended to take some rest. What happens instead? Verse 34, when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things, the exact opposite of me. He doesn't see them and see a distraction. He doesn't see an inconvenience. He sees them and he has compassion on them, the exact opposite. Compassion on them. He sees all these sheep that don't have a shepherd. And so he doesn't just sit with them and passively listen to their stories. He actively teaches them many things. He takes every opportunity to do what he came to do. They were like sheep without a shepherd. There's lots of Old Testament allusions in Mark and particularly in this chapter and, and, and you hear many times in the Old Testament God's people being referred to as sheep without a shepherd. And often it's because they've been sinful and rebellious and God has left them to their own devices and often it's because they lack leadership. They don't have the leader that they need. Either they have bad leadership or they have no leadership. And so they're like these sheep without a shepherd. Like, do you know sheep? They're dumb, really dumb animals, incredibly dumb and and leaderless. They're not like a wolf pack where there's an alpha male or or a a herd of elephants with the matriarch. They, They just scatter. And these, these people, God's people, are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus sees this and he has compassion on them. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the leader that these people desperately need. We've seen that they had all kinds of expectations about a Messiah who would come and be a military leader or someone who would come and teach people to be more obedient to the law. But this is not necessarily the the leader that they need. This is the leader, sorry, the, the leader that they want. This is the shepherd king that they desperately 
need. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And so if you're here this morning and you feel in any way like a a sheep that's been cut off from the herd, from the flock, right? A A sheep who has been neglected in some way. Or maybe you've just lost your way. Maybe you don't have a great sense of direction. Maybe when we talk about discipleship being this really active and involved process that doesn't resonate with you at all. If you are in any way like a sheep without a shepherd, then you need to know this morning for sure that God looks at you and has compassion on you. He doesn't look on you and wish you would go away. He doesn't look on you and then compare you to all the sheep who are living under the shepherd, you know, the good sheep, and see you as an outcast. He doesn't look at you in that way at all. He looks on you and has compassion on you, and he wants you to be part of the fold. He wants to minister to you. He wants to nourish you and care for you. He has compassion on you. We know that for Sure, that is God's nature expressed here in Jesus' action. So let's see what happens next. Verse 35 to 37. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send them, send the crowds away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he replied. They said to him, I'm going to do sarcastic voice. Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Jesus is in this mode now where he has spent so much time with his disciples, he wants to start giving them opportunities to sink or swim. He's going to keep throwing them these opportunities. So he said, go out. Don't take anything with you. Go out to minister to people, preach repentance, heal the sick, cast out demons. Don't take anything with you. You just need to trust that God is going to provide for you along the way. Sink or swim opportunity. I love these kinds of opportunities, by the way. I love being given sink or swim opportunities. I think it's when I respond best. I think it's when most people respond best. And Jesus is going to give them more and more opportunities to sink Or swim. He gives them one here. You give them something to eat. Their response, even having seen all of his miracles to this point and just participating in miracles of healing and exorcisms and so on, don't take the challenge seriously at all. In fact, they respond like like your teenage kids do. Right? Who's got teenage kids here? Okay. We're praying for you. (laughs) Their response is just, whatever. Oh, okay, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? That's 200 days wages. They're being sarcastic. They don't have any money, let alone... Three, you know, two thirds of a year's wages. They don't have what it takes to feed these people. As far as it goes in the physical, they do not have what they need. Jesus' point is you have more than what you think you have. You give them something to eat. 
I think it would be a great thing to pray, maybe as a small group or as a family, God, give us more sink or swim opportunities to minister in your kingdom. Give us more. I read a book recently called 1,000 Risks by Chad Johnson. And he set himself this goal of just taking 1,000 risks with people, going up to strangers in the street and just saying, can I pray for you? Uh, going up to people who uh, had some kind of ailment and saying, can I pray for healing? Um, and, and, and forcing himself into those situations where it was sink or swim, where it was, God, you have to show up now or I'm, I'm toast. Or forcing himself into a situation where he could be rejected just as Jesus was rejected. God, please give us more sink or swim opportunities. Opportunities either for us to fail or for you to show up and show your power. I told you Monday was the last day at my dad's house before he moved and um, uh, he has a pool at his house so we gave the kids the day off school because they were so keen uh, yes, to be there for granddad's last day in his house, but also just to get one last swim in. And um, I'm not putting it beyond them just to kind of sneak in overnight sometime because they just have so much fun swimming. But I, I spent much of the day forcing my boy Judah into sink or swim opportunities because he can swim. I've seen him do it. He has swimming lessons, but he just, he just wants, to, he wants, he wants daddy to hold him, right? He wants, he wants me to hold him up. And so... To be honest, and I don't know if Renee knows this, um, but she was really busy actually helping. I was, you know, in the pool. And um, I I said to him a few times, you jump in and I'll catch you, and then I didn't. And so if if he needs counselling in the future, which I'm sure he will, I might need to revisit that. But I I I needed him to have that feeling of I'm gonna die and then Oh, no, I'm not. I can actually swim. It's a powerful experience, right? Exposure therapy. You're exposed to that which you fear, and then you find out, oh, actually, I, I didn't die. Quickest way to overcome fear. This is what Jesus is doing for his disciples. Sink or swim, sink or swim opportunities, and yet when they fail and they do fail, like a good father, he steps in, and like I did with Judah a couple of times, I scooped him up, and that's exactly what he does here. He steps in. And he doesn't respond to their sarcasm. Teenage parents take note. He just steps in and, he, and he's a good daddy. So verse 38 to 44, let's read about this incredible feast, the king's banquet. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Scholars will say that probably means 15 to 20,000 people gathered together, all of them fed by two fish and five loaves. And there's so much we could say here about 
the sufficiency of God to provide for our needs, the, the capacity and willingness of God to take what, we, what meager thing we have and make so much more out of it. All of that is true, but I want to just focus in on some of the Old Testament imagery that's here because it's so deliberately put here by Mark. And you remember that Peter is the one who's giving Mark, John Mark the content here, and so it's Peter who was one of the guys handing out the food. And it's Peter who himself, raised as a Jew, saw the significance of some of this stuff going on. So you see where where he tells them to sit down in hundreds and fifties. Exactly the same thing happens in Exodus uh, where uh, the people are arranged in in hundreds and fifties and in fact often arranged that way for war, for battle. So there is a chance that these 5,000 men, which make a pretty decent army, were thinking to themselves, ah, maybe this is the Messiah. Remember, the Messiah is coming to liberate us from Rome. We're gathered here in an area which historically has been a a battleground for God's people. He's arranging us in battalions. He's arranging us in military formation. Maybe this is the guy that we've been hoping for. Actually, Jesus just wants to feed them. He's more interested in feasting than fighting. But there's more. There's more here. The fact that this miracle happens in the wilderness, right, in a deserted place, it just absolutely calls back to mind Deuteronomy where God feeds his people in the wilderness with manna from heaven. It's a miraculous and an abundant, like over-the-top, like crazy over-the-top feeding of his people his people who are sheep without a shepherd, his people who are wandering the wilderness, right? His people fed by his hand, demonstrating his authority over nature. Exactly the same thing is going on here. Miraculous feeding in the wilderness, sheep without a shepherd, demonstrating authority over creation. And then you've got in verse 43, this, this 12 basketfuls taken up. Why is Mark so keen to report about the number? Well, partly he's just into detail. You notice he said they they sat down on the green grass. Like, he's really interested in details. It It wasn't like the grass we've got here right now, which, if you have any, is like burnt stubble. No, it was... It was by a, by a lake. It was green grass. He's interested in detail, but that's, there's so much more to it than that. These 12 basketfuls, 12 being a very significant symbolic number for the people of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel and 12 basketfuls taken up by God's people and, and, and an allusion there to one and two kings with Elijah and Elisha in the same way as prophets of God, miraculously feeding people and having an abundance left over. The point is, God is not stingy in his blessing. It's over the top. Like God was doing the, the portioning and he still decided, let's just go over the top. He could have put it down right to the crumb, but no, let's just go over the top. Let's make a really important theological point here that links what Jesus is doing to the old covenant, but above all, demonstrates for us. Once again, I'm going to say this over and over again because it's just repeated over and over again like a spiral staircase, repeated, repeated, repeated through Mark 1 to 8. Jesus is God. Jesus has authority over nature, over disease, over demons, over death itself. Jesus is God. He is the shepherd king. He's able to provide and lead his people. That's who he is. 
So don't miss it. That's the, the big point of that story. And then the, the director, John Mark, the director, he, he, he does a scene switch on us, all right? So there's a little transition here into the next scene. Let's read verse 45 to 46. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he'd said goodbye to them, nice touch, he went away to the mountain to pray. Stop there. It's a brief point. But if that guy needs to pray, then I need to pray. Right? If, that, if Jesus, the shepherd king, the miracle worker, God's son, if he needs to take time while his disciples leave to sit down and to pray, then everyone here needs to pray all the time. Says throughout his ministry, Jesus values, cherishes the ministry of praying to his daddy. Let's keep going. Verse 47 Well, into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. And wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded. Because they had not understood about the loaves. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Not this tragic verse to end on there. And I can just see Peter recounting this to John Mark and just the kind of, I don't know if he felt shame. I'm sure he did when it came to stuff like this and his own denial of Jesus at the crucifixion. We'll see come Easter. And their hearts were hardened. They did not understand about the loaves. They didn't get the big idea. They didn't understand Jesus did the loaves thing because he's God. So they see him walking on the sea and they don't think, oh yeah, God can walk on the sea. They think that is a ghost right there. Right? They don't get it. Their hearts are hard. They can't receive the truth yet. They're blind, as he'll say in, uh, I think it's the next, in the next chapter. They're blind. Their hearts are hard. And I guess blindness makes us think in some way that they're passive in this, but actually their hardened hearts, are they're active participants in that. They're, they're not open yet. They're not fully open yet to see Jesus for who he really is. And so they miss it. Instead of being astonished in, a, in, a, in, an, in, an, awe, in an awesome kind of way, a worshipping kind of way, they're astonished in a fearful kind of way. This is a ghost. Jesus' response is, have courage. You can have courage because I really am who I say I am. Now, juxtapose that, that, that little story of how the disciples fail 
to have faith, juxtapose that with the, the last little bit we'll look at. Verse 53 to the end. When they had crossed over the, the sea, they came to shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. So they didn't get where they wanted to go. Right? They were going to Bethsaida. The wind was so blowing so hard that they end up at, at a place they didn't intend to be. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe, and everyone who touched it was healed. See what's going on here? Do you see why, when I said at the beginning, it seems like Mark just chucked it all in together? Uh Uh-uh. He's done this deliberately. He wants us to see how different people respond to Jesus' ministry. In the first place, people from his own hometown tell him to get stuffed. Utterly reject him. Completely harden their hearts towards him. Receive no blessing from him apart from his teaching, which is a a huge blessing, but don't receive this kind of ministry of healing and of reconciliation. They miss it because of their their rejection of him. Then you have his own disciples. They've walked with him for so long. They have seen things that would blow your mind. I hear people say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist. I would believe in God if he just showed up and did something miraculous. Not necessarily. These guys haven't. And they've had every opportunity to see what's really going on. And their response is to harden their hearts. They don't receive a full measure of his blessing because they fail to see him for who he really is. And then you've got this last group of absolute randos, right? Just absolutely random group of people. Jesus didn't intend to be there. The disciples were blown off course by a north wind, took them to a completely different spot, and yet their response is to see and believe. See, receive, and believe. And their belief, their faith in Jesus is so strong, they touch his his robe and they're healed. Mark says, open your eyes to the reality of who Jesus is, and that is a gateway to great blessing. And so, I know from experience that those three groups of people are represented in our community. Those who haven't yet received Jesus, there's a rejection of him, maybe a sense that he's a good guy or maybe a sense that this is a good group of people here, both of which are true, but a failure to receive him on his terms a failure to see him for who he truly is, God's son. And then there are those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. He's called us to be his disciples. We call ourselves his disciples. We trust in his words and his works. We want to be near him. 
but we haven't yet fully received him. We haven't yet unhardened our hearts. That is, we haven't yet opened our hearts entirely to his presence. It is possible to do this. It is possible to live many, many, many years as Jesus' disciple without fully surrendering to him. That's the disciples. They haven't yet surrendered themselves to him. Yes, they dropped, his net. They dropped their nets. They've, they've, they've made great sacrifices, but that's not the main thing. We're going to see in the next chapter, according to Jesus, the main thing is not what you do with your hands, but what you do with your heart. It's the heart that matters. And so I'm trusting now, and I'm not naming any names, so that might be fun. I'm not, you know, there are people here who God wants to speak to now. And he wants to encourage you to let down your guard, to let down your hard-heartedness, to allow him in. Then he can do his greatest work of blessing. Then you'll be like the third group of people, unnamed, unremarkable, except for the fact that they were so full of faith, so full of anticipation. Jesus is here. He's going to do incredible things among us. Let's just open ourselves up to him. And he does miracles in their midst. So I just want to finish by spending some time in prayer and asking God that if we're in those first two camps, that he would move us into the third one. That yes, we would claim to be followers of Jesus, that yes, we would actually live like Jesus, and yes, to the degree that which we are holding back in any way or hardening ourselves in any way, that he by his spirit would open that up, would soften it, would enable us to welcome Jesus in all his fullness. I'm praying it for me. Let me pray it for you too. Let's pray. Father, you know each one of us intimately and you know our struggles to believe. For some of us, there's an an absolute rejection of who Jesus said he was and is. And we know that it's a miracle of your spirit for that, that rejection to be turned into reception. So I pray that you would do that miracle now, even now, in the hearts of anyone here who has rejected you. I pray that they would see you as the shepherd that they so desperately need. And I pray that you would meet them and feed them abundantly with all that they need. And I pray, Lord, probably for a greater majority of us who are your disciples, who do love you, who are endeavoring to live for you. Lord God, I know that each one of us has in us this 
this fear of opening ourselves fully up to you. There is a bit of hardening in each one of us. And so we pray as we often sing, open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, help us to see you for who you truly are. Lord, if we just knew you, we would have no reservations about welcoming you in. May we, Lord, in this place, Be like those in Bethsaida. Be like those in Gennesaret. Lord, those, those people who, who are just so eager to meet you, to be ministered to by you. As we stand and sing together and, and open up for a time of prayer and ministry, Lord, I pray that there would be those among us like those at Gennesaret, those who would come forward to be blessed by you. We trust that just as you blessed and, and, and healed those on the shores of the lake, that you would be here to bless us and heal us and change us to be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.